Welcome to Refocus. I'm your host, Trevor Wilson. This is a podcast of Sunday school lessons that I've taught, some sermons that I have preached. Uh, I have various guests at different times. Uh, Basically, the, the whole idea is to just kind of refocus back on the Word of God, going back to those Bible stories, studying the scriptures. Let's just, just kind of get out of ourselves, out of our own thinking, and go back to the Word of God and see what He has to say. I love those old Sunday school lessons when we were kids. We seem to have gotten away from some of those, just the bare bones bottom of what the Word of God, the meat and potatoes, if you will. So I hope you enjoy it and pass along and share. Now, let's get to the lesson. Hello, back again. Steve Wilson here once again going through the book of Matthew and we're in chapter 16 and we just went through verse 18. So we're picking up in verse 19. We're just going to kind of jump right in, okay? We just finished talking about... um, the, the basis of uh, the Lord's church. Um, not going to go way back into it and all that, but we, you know, I tried to share with you that it was being, God is using mankind to build the church on the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the declaration, of course, that um, Simon Peter had made back in verse 16. So, uh, you know, we're continuing kind of with that thought um, and I, there's you know I want to kind of pause for a second here and point something out in this chapter here because beginning in verse 18 there are four different uh, verses here in this uh, chapter that um, are just various declarations that mankind has just totally misconstrued totally misunderstood you get you know, I mentioned that the Catholic Church is based upon verse 18, um, that they think Peter, he's, he's declaring Peter as being the first pope. Um, and, you know, that's totally wrong. It's just so far off base, it's ridiculous. Um, verse 19, you hear a lot of these word of faith people and charismatics and so on making claims about this. I'll, I'll explain that a little bit later. Um, verse... 27 um, talks about man being uh, rewarded based on his works. People have got that all messed up. And then in verse 28, it talks about um, some alive here that he's addressing some of the apostles uh, being there when Christ comes in his kingdom. And people think that's, you know, when Christ returns, um, you know, at the end of the millennium and so on. And so anyway, that's all wrong. So, you know, as, as we go through this, I'm going to explain these verses so you understand what it is he's actually saying. Um, and so, you know, we're going to go ahead and tackle the, very, the first one right now in uh, verse 19. And as, as I said, he's just finished talking about establishing his church, establishing and using mankind based on... Um, um, the belief that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. Uh, and so in verse 19, when he's talking about that church, um, he says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth 
shall be loosed in heaven. Of course, the Catholic Church, in keeping with their belief that verse uh, 18 establishes the Catholic Church and that Peter was the first pope, you know, they, they have this belief that, um, you know, what the pope says is, is directly from God, that he's infallible and, you know, he, can, he, can, he represents God here on earth. And so, you know, the things he says are equal with Scripture. Um, and, and, and so you have to follow them, that they're infallible. That's totally false. That's not what he's referring to in any shape or form here in verse 19. Um, what he is saying is his church will have the ability to bind certain things that he reckoned that he will also consider bound in heaven. But that's based on the fact that he, they're teaching true salvation. They're teaching that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God and that salvation comes only through him. Well, you know, when the church teaches that people come to Christ in a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and, and they repent of their sins, they give their lives to Jesus Christ, invite them in to be their Lord and Savior, um, and, and then the church baptizes them in, into the church. These are all things that, that these are things that, that God recognizes as valid. You know, if a person is saved through the teachings of his church that he's established, then that is bound in heaven. He, he binds their souls for all eternity. It's not the church that has the power to save. It's the church that has the power to share the knowledge of salvation. And, and, and God has, is watching over the church. There's a supernatural protection of the church. And I think there's a supernatural uh, gift that he has given to his local church uh, in order to share the gospel. And if they do that using scripture, it's, you know, it's kind of like when you're leading or trying to lead a person to Christ. When you do that, try to use as much scripture as you can possibly use because there's power in scripture. God's word has power. And I believe God grants kind of a supernatural ability for his local church, if they're teaching the truth, to touch a man's soul, to, to say and do things that, that causes man to recognize that he is in need of a Savior, that he must repent of his sins and give his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And, and so, um, you know, God will honor that. God will respect that. Um, he, he, you know, when you go back into Matthew 28, 19, and 20, what he, what he does there, you know, we all recognize that as the Great Commission. Let me, let me go back over there and uh, just read a few of those verses to kind of help you understand what's going on here. Um, let's see, Matthew 28. Let's just kind of back up a little bit and kind of set the tone. Um, verse uh, 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Okay, so this is after Judas has betrayed Christ. And, and um, you know, so the, there's eleven disciples left. They haven't yet appointed Matthias as the replacement. But those eleven go off to themselves. Um, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them. Saying, so Jesus is addressing his first church, okay? All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, okay? Then he uses that, he, he kind of transfers that power to them or, 
or or alludes to them that he's they're gonna they can go in the power that he has and do what he's commanding them to do here. He's telling his local church to go into the world. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So he, um, he tells them to go and, and teach the world what he's taught them, the, the plan of salvation. And he's also telling them to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, baptize he doesn't say anything about baptism being a means of salvation, but he is telling the church that you have, I am authorizing you to perform the baptism. That's why you don't just, you know, not just anybody can go out and baptize somebody. It, it's done under the authority of the local church, and only the local church can do that. So a representative, and it doesn't necessarily say who within that church has to do it, but if the church is the one that has the, the authority to do it, then they can grant that authority to a member of the church or Generally, it's it's the the pastor, possibly the deacons or someone, but it's the authority of the church that does that. And and what that does, you know, people say, well, there's no place in Scripture that talks about how the church, um, how you know, baptism is linked to church membership. Well, yeah, I think right here, the fact that he's granting only the church the authority to do that, then I think it goes without saying that that's, that's what brings a person into the church, their profession of salvation through Jesus Christ and Christ alone, and then baptism representing that they want to serve Him and that um, they want to be a part of that local church. They you know, want to be a part of their responding to the teaching of salvation. So uh, there you have it. He is uh, recognizing the fact that um, it's the church that is able to do that and that what they're doing is binding that soul to heaven through the teaching that they have accepted. That indeed they've given their life to Jesus Christ and by virtue of that uh, uh, profession of faith they want to become part of a local church. Now that leads us into a whole nother teaching. And once again, I don't have time to get into all this. Maybe as I get into a different part of Scripture, we'll cover that. But my personal belief is that there, um, there's kind of two kinds of Christians. When you're saved, you're born into the family of God. Okay? Um, you become a part of the family of God. And everybody across the globe who has given their life to Jesus Christ they're born-again believers in Christ. We're going to spend eternity in heaven all together, regardless of whether you're Baptist, Methodist, Catholic even, uh, Charismatic, you know, Church of God. It doesn't matter what denomination you happen to be a part of. If you truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're part of the family of God. And, and, and I, of course, again, you know, I believe in eternal security. If you're saved, you're saved. And that's that. And so we're going to spend eternity in heaven. Now, the second type of Christian would be the one who joins the church. The true church of Jesus Christ. The church that Jesus built. Not just any church. There's all kinds of denominations that claim 
that they are a church doesn't necessarily make them the church that Jesus built. The church that Jesus built is the one that went forth teaching all things whatsoever I have commanded you. A lot of churches teach false doctrine. I'm not talking about doctrine that saves, that, that can save you or alter your salvation, but they teach false doctrine about the, uh, the second blessing. You know, when you get, you, first you get saved and you get the Holy Ghost later, or you got to show that by speaking in tongues or by this, you know, divine healing where somebody's up on stage and they lay their hands on somebody and on their forehead and knock them over or cure a whole crowd of people from something or, um, you know, the, or that baptism is something that saves you. There's a lot of false teachings out there, but a person can believe in Jesus Christ and truly be born again and still follow false doctrine and still be part of an organization that calls itself a church and not be part of the church that Jesus built. Um, so, it, you know, and, and the difference is that it's the church that is the bride of Christ. Now, I don't have the ability to decide who that person is and who they're not, but God does. God certainly knows. And he will make that determination someday. I certainly don't have the ability to decide who's saved and not saved. I can look at people, and, and the better, more I get to know them, um, the greater the possibility is that I can determine whether or not they're saved or not. But I by no means am the final authority. Only God is that final authority. So, um, you know, going back to where I started, I'm, I've kind of gotten way off tangent here. Um, there are things that the church can do because of the teachings of Jesus Christ that are bound in heaven, and that is salvation. And I also believe it has to do with those who have become members of the Lord's church. So very quickly, we've only got a couple minutes left, and I'll just try and touch on this very fast. Uh, in the first uh, 20 says, Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. There's been a lot of question about why he would tell the disciples not to do that. And the Bible doesn't clarify why, because he just makes the statement and goes on, does the same thing in Mark and, and you know, things like that. It doesn't explain why. So it's, it's just up to us to try to figure it out, you know, if it's important to us. The bottom line is he said it and so it is. But, you know, I, I tend to think that what he's what he wants to do is in order to be sure that people are accepting the fact that he is indeed jesus christ the son of god then they need to see him go to the cross and be and and, and die and be buried and then be resurrected you got to see the death burial and resurrection to confirm it you know there would have been such a movement of people following him and clamoring after him at this point that it would have made, would have made the rest of his ministry difficult. I think it would have hastened uh, some of the things that the uh, Pharisees and whatnot tried to do. I think it would have created some difficulty and I think created some disillusion. It might have caused a lot of people to believe falsely um, as to who he was. And, you know, I don't know. I don't have the total answer for that, but I believe there would have been you know, just such a hubbub, for lack of a better term, um, that he felt it was important to wait until 
after the death, burial, and resurrection for this to be declared, and it would be have a lot more impact by the local church, uh, for the ministry of the local church, um, in order to have all that complete and have, have the whole story intact in order to build the church properly. Okay, so we're out of time. Thank you for listening once again. We'll catch you next time.